the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardtlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt, here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Later, we'll be on podcasts everywhere. Also, TalkLawRadio.com and on YouTube. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information you learn today should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. New businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like in probate court, district court, or county court. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us when we sin, when we make mistakes, when we do the wrong thing, when we fail to follow your will. Please help Joseph Warren and me give give good in, information about money, banks, and the FDIC today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. And today we're going to be talking about Money, Banks, and the FDIC with Joseph Warren. He's the founder and co-owner of Financial Planning HQ, where he helps clients to visualize and create the future they desire. He's the former president and current education and mentor coordinator of his local Better Business BNI chapter, which is one of the top-ranked business networking groups in San Antonio. He's also a co-founder of Strong Life Scholars, which is a nonprofit that provides scholarship funds for Latinas to attend law school. In his free time, Joseph enjoys making YouTube and TikTok videos as Joseph D. Warren, search for him that way, giving speeches and reading sci-fi and personal development books. Joseph, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd, thank you for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, I've met a few people like me, but my background is actually in science. So when I was going to Schreiner University, which is up in Kerrville, mm-hmm. I studied biochemistry and found that I was really good at organic chemistry, which I, which I think is rare. A lot of people hated that class, um, just the visualization and stuff like that. So ended up going on a full-ride scholarship to UCLA uh, to study organic chemistry, to be a uh, you know, like a teaching associate and also to go through grad school to get my PhD. 
Okay. And this is, a, you know, any advice for any young people watching is try something before you commit to it, right? So I would say, like, you know, if you're going to at least talk to someone who's done a job. If you want to be a, a lawyer working mm-hmm. at estate planning, talk to Todd Marquardt. Find a mentor who's done it. But as I was working in the lab day in and day out, I found that I hated it. And I was like, this is really boring. It's not my personality. I like working with people. So I quit. No financial plan. Nothing. Uh, living in Los Angeles, far away from all my family. Uh, cost of living, of course, there is a lot higher than it is here in right. San Antonio. And had to make ends meet. So I was working as a tutor, just being resourceful, everything I could do to, you know, studying. I was tutoring physics, chemistry, and just barely squeaked by, made it, you know, made rent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember one day I was at Trader Joe's there. They have them all over California. And I saw some soup, and <laughs> like a box of soup, mm-hmm. and really cheap food. And I was like... I think this is all I can afford to eat. And I was like, okay, it's time to, you know, time to call my family back home, see what they're doing, and kind of put my pride aside, talk to them, and came back and then started as an intern doing financial planning. And want to help people to never be in that situation. I think it's it's good to have that point of reference of being broke, Mm -hmm. but I think, um, you know, now you want to, I want to build systems and help people build systems. So no matter what happens, you know, in the economy, the market, politics, that they're going to, they know they're going to be okay. Okay. So your family was doing financial planning already? Yep. My dad has been working with MetLife since 1987, two years before I was born. And you're up in the insurance world and finance world. And my brother had been doing it since two years longer than me. So while I was in Los Angeles, he was actually working. Okay. And when I came, he was like, no special treatment, but, you know, get your licenses, do an internship, see if you like it. And it, it was the exact opposite of working in a fume hood, which is what you work in in organic chemistry, mm-hmm. just mixing chemicals. It was talking to people, interacting, and I found that I loved it. And you can always get better at it, too. So yeah, like, yeah, and so what what did you do with all that education and knowledge about organic chemistry or There's, biology? Yeah. Well, nowadays, you know, we're creating financial strategies for clients, very personalized. And some things I do is just kind of using the strategy you would use to create a chemical, which was actually working backwards from what you wanted to achieve. So Mm -hmm. you'd have like this complicated chemical molecule, if you can picture that. And you want to get there from basic ingredients. And the way you do that is actually called a retrosynthesis. So you actually break it down like, okay, I could see from this finished product something a little less complicated and how I could get there. And you work backward to get to the beginning. Okay. That's something I use in strategy a lot. You, awesome. know, you want to get to this point, and you know, here's how we could get there, starting from where you want to get to. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay, so you, you're doing financial planning now. Um, tell us what type of uh, licenses you need or certifications for that. Yeah. Um, so started with my insurance license, which was – you know, it started at MetLife, so mm-hmm. that's um, where I kind of l- learned the ropes. Um, and then from there, got my investment license, so I was fully licensed to do investments. Um, and from there, um, when we were at MetLife, just found that the direction we were going in was a little bit different from the company MetLife, more focusing on creating financial plans. So just started, you know, full-time making financial plans for clients. We could do that at MetLife. And um, MetLife no longer has financial advisors in the United States, by the way. Mm-hmm. And they're a great company. I mean, they have great insurance products, uh, benefits, and stuff like that. And um, just kind of went our own direction. Felt like the future of the industry might be people wanting strategies to achieve their goals and just paying for that instead of, um, you know, getting it piece by piece. Selling insurance, selling yeah. investments. Yeah. So tell us. What exactly is a financial plan? How would you break that down into smaller parts? Yeah. Um, well, you sit down, you, you talk to someone about what's important to them, what they want to achieve, and where they are now. And from there, you can get an idea of, you know, if you can help them create a strategy that would make things better. I always like to think in terms of, like, what's the return on investment I could probably get them mm-hmm. um, for the year. And really what you're doing is you're coordinating everything, you know, working with experts like you, make sure they get their estate planning done, their business planning done. Um, their insurance, you know, working with experts. I got to give a shout out to Larissa with New York Life, who's one of my favorite insurance experts to work with. But getting them to these insurance experts who really care, aren't just there to sell them something, but actually, you know, even create a strategy, you know, complicated strategies with their insurance that will make sure they're protected. Mm -hmm. The investments as well. You know, we have full-time investment advisors who all they do is look at the market. 
So make sure the investments are set up in accordance to help you achieve your goals um, and with your risk tolerance. And, you know, we're also looking at um, just every aspect of finances to make sure you're making the best decisions possible. Okay. Well, we got to take a break, but when we come back, we'll be talking about money, banks, and the FDIC. And just to remind you, uh, if you have a question and you want to ask Joseph something or me, you can call 210-308-8867, 210-308-8867, and we'll have a discussion about what's going on. Stay tuned. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome to back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Joseph Warren, who is with, uh, what's the name of your company? Financial Planning HQ. Financial Planning HQ. And you do financial planning. Yep. Yep. Good. And we're here to talk about money, banks, and the FDIC. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to say something about um, advice. Because you give advice, I give advice. And so I wanted to ask the ladies and gentlemen listening today, have you ever, has anyone ever asked you for advice? Did you feel good knowing that you had the education and experience and God's providence to finally get to weigh in and give somebody some good advice? And further, did that person asking for your advice finally reject your advice? I had a similar thing happen to me. I was meeting with somebody at my office, uh, someone who wanted legal advice to make sure that they were going to be able to follow the law. I said, I can help with that. And they went on to tell me the situation and what they wanted to do. And I cautioned them against doing it. I said the law might be very unforgiving if you proceed with that plan of action. She scooted her chair back, stood up, and walked out. Yeah. And I thought I was I was so offended and just in shock about what happened because I th- maybe that's the first time that someone's ever done that to me. Yeah. So today I'd like for ladies and gentlemen, open your minds to what's happening, what's been going on in recent history, health pandemics, political division, economic uncertainty. It's a good time for you to examine who you're going to trust, who you're going to get your information from, and whose advice you're going to take when the next shoe drops. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm Todd Marquardt, host of Talk Law Radio on KLUP 930 AM The Answer, can subscribe to my YouTube channel where you can catch up on other hidden issue blind spots. So, uh, Joseph, I wanted to define money for the listeners here today. Yeah. And so uh, Encyclopedia Britannica defines money as a commodity accepted by general consent as a medium for of economic exchange. It is the medium in which prices and values are expressed. It circulates from person to person and country to country, facilitating trade, and it is the principal measure of wealth. Comments? It's it's more convenient than the barter system that we used to use, right? Because a lot of times, you know, we could barter. Let's say you do estate planning. I need a will. Mm-hmm. I would have to need a will at that point in time. 
or I would have to need your services at that point in time. Right. And you wanted finances, you'd be like, you'd have to need financial planning at that exact point in time. Right. Um, so, yeah. it's a, S- Same thing if you were going to trade for eggs or gasoline. Yeah. You know, if you don't need eggs you, you, <laughs> or you're a chicken farmer and the gas person, the person who has the, the gas station doesn't need eggs and you'd have to go work out a bunch of deals. It'd be a lot of time wasted. <laughs> right. You'd yeah. have to find somebody who did have something that the gasoline owner needed. Yeah. yeah. Trade, trade for trade. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, there's currencies do fluctuate. We've seen currencies undergo hyperinflation, things like that. So that does happen. Um, so you just got to be, be careful. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the International Monetary Fund defines money as something that holds its value over time, mm-hmm. can be easily translated into prices, and widely accepted. And and just like you explained with the barter system, um, they gave examples like that too. Many things have been used as money. Um, shells, barley, peppercorns, gold, silver. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so that reminded me about the gold standard. Yeah. Well, President Nixon was president when it was announced that the gold was no longer going to be the standard um, to support the dollar. That was uh, in 1971. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, uh, money is what the what the U.S. government says it is, right? Kind of, yeah. It's, <laughs> if we have faith in it, it has value. Okay, well, that's, that's what's important here. Yeah. And so I wanted to talk about money because of the bank problems that have been in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think led up to the the Silicon Valley bank problem? There's so many factors. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Well, you know, let's you... just talk about some of them that you remember. Yeah. I want to go to – I'm just going to go – I don't want to go back to, like, the 70s, the gold standard, but I'll go back to 2008. Okay. We had, um, you know, a global financial crisis at that point in time. And the U.S. government at that point in time was like, we need to stimulate the economy. And the way they do that a lot of the times is making more money, printing money, as you wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. But they do that with interest rates. So interest rates at that point in time went – I think there were about 4% before that crisis. The real estate bubble crashed. And they went down to point. Two five percent, so near zero, and that was a whole era from two thousand eight until the pandemic, where interest rates were near zero. Mm-hmm. And what happens when that happens? So say like you know a mortgage was eight percent, and now it's two percent. People start getting loans. You get this. There's a lot of credit being created, which creates money, which stimulates the economy. But then you get some manias as well. So one of the currencies I think that was used before was tulips, <laughs> and I don't know if you've heard of tulip mania, but there was. Mm-mm. Um, entire country was obsessed with tulips. They were selling for thousands and thousands of dollars. What would be the equivalent? Mm-hmm. And sort of like fidget spinners or something else. The fad went away, and that whole uh, that whole economy crashed. Basically, I think yeah. it was in Dutch. Okay, um, but we had manias. Now, if you think about twenty twenty one, you had AMC, GameStop, a lot of these stocks being pumped up um, just based on hype. And that yeah, was kind of seeing a lot that. of more money out there. You know, that was after stimulus checks, too. So then we had the pandemic, and interest rates were already near zero. But they were like, we still need to stimulate the economy. So what did they do? They did the stimulus checks. I think there were three rounds of stimulus checks. Um, and they even, you know, bumped them down to 0% again, or close to 0%. So that really got the economy going. But a side effect of that was we got inflation. <laughs> Everything got more expensive. Um, so generally, you want inflation to be about 2% healthy, sustainable growth in inflation. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it was getting towards 7%, towards 9%, which, you know, that means if you had $1,000, right, it was now worth uh, nine, nine, at the end of the year, it would be worth $910. Mm-hmm. You're losing value on your money very quickly. And of course, it's built on faith, right? <laughs> right. Um, so they were like, that's not good politically. That's not good economically, right? If there's a lot of inflation, people, you know, are complaining about the price of gas, eggs, everything. Right. Um, so how do they fight against inflation? What they do is they raise interest rates and that's the new era that we're in. And a lot of economists, a lot of very smart hedge fund managers, billionaires say that we are in an era that's different from the one before. Now we're in a rising interest rate era where they're tightening it. Let me say something about, uh, 2008. Yeah. 
Um, I I graduated from St. Mary's Law School in 2006. Yeah. And I was uh, so just just out of school two years practicing law, and uh, I had a stable job. I, I had a fixed salary, and in 2008, gas prices went up. Yeah. And if you have a fixed salary and prices of anything goes up, mm-hmm. then you have to change things. You have to change your standard of living. Yeah. And so the only thing I could really change was the grocery budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I I went to eating peanut butter and jelly and rice and beans and beans and rice. <laughs> and uh, so that that's how sometimes inflation can affect people mm-hmm. that have a fixed income. Seniors a lot of times have a fixed income because they're retired and, and collecting their pension or their social security. Yeah. So that affects them too. Yeah. It's very tough um, on a lot of people, right? It's not, it's not good for a lot of people's personal economies, especially if you're retired and students too. Yeah. You kind of live that life with me. Like I was talking about Trader Joe's. Suit. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it can be very tough when everything's getting more expensive and that's how they thought it was rising interest rates to slow down the economy. Yeah, so the the rising interest rates I think led to this uh bank problem with Silicon Valley mm-hmm. because um a lot of the banks money was tied up in treasury bonds mm-hmm. that were paying low interest. Yep, at the lowest, you know, they were close to 0%, but they were paying about 1% probably on average. Mm-hmm. And now those bonds are paying close to 3.5%. So if you think about which one would be worth more, a bond that they're both the same amount of safety. Mm-hmm. One pays you 350% more, 3.5% interest. The other yeah. one's paying you 1%. Nobody wanted these bonds. Right. And so when the the customers of that bank wanted to take their money out, mm-hmm. the, the the banker said, well, we can sell some of these bonds, but... We're going to have to sell them at a discount, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was going to be bad for the bank. Yeah. It's interesting because you would think that that's a safe investment, right? Treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. And it was safe at the time they did it, did it, but with rising interest rates, you know, starting in 2022, very rapidly they've gone from close to 0% to 4%. Um, with that, those bonds, they had to sell them, I think, at a 20% loss. Then they announced it. And people on Twitter, we also live in an interesting world where information goes real quick. Right. A lot of tech people are on Twitter. We're like, hey, we need to get our money out of here. And they also weren't heeding the FDIC. So I think 97% of the money in Silicon Valley Bank was uninsured money. Because so it was above, it was above the $250,000 insured amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's what, well, I don't know. Why, why did the government just not let that bank fail? I believe the reason why is because we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but bank scares could even hurt a financially sound bank. So they didn't want the panic to spread because fear is one of those emotions is very contagious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see someone just run out of a building, there's a good chance you're going to be like, oh, something's going on. I'm going to run out too. Right. 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 Um, so they, um, you know, the banks also are built on a, a level of trust as well. So they said, we'll make these depositors whole. It's kind of an interesting situation. And they thought that would be, or they said that would be the lowest cost solution to taxpayers, um, which actually didn't fund this one. So we did fund the, taxpayers did fund the 2008 bailouts, but we did not actually fund this one. But we may see it later with bank fees and things like that. The banks okay. So it, it's a loan to the bank. Yep. Okay. So yeah. the, the $300 billion that the government used, um, that was just loans. There were one-year loans for banks, emergency loans. Yeah. Okay. And basically saying we'll take that bad long-term debt, that's 1% that nobody wants, that, so you can hold it to maturity. We'll just give you the cash for it. It's collateral. Okay. That's what they did. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Where, where was the money going to come from to pay for all that? Yeah. So uh, there was $300 billion in emergency funds. That's what Joseph's been talking about. And and so you you think that maybe that was okay to to stop the panic, but what would what's going to be a more long term solution for this? 
Mm. I mean, I don't think it's it's not good. <laughs> um, but I think it was better than 2008 for sure when the taxpayers paid to bail out big banks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a long-term solution and what a lot of banks should be doing is looking at their balance sheets, realizing we're in a new era of rising interest rates and seeing what adjustments they need to make, even if it's little by little, to make their balance sheets better. Maybe hold more cash. Yeah. That's what I would say. Okay. <laughs> we're here on Talk Law Radio, and we have to take a break, but stay tuned. And if you ever want to listen to other episodes of Talk Law Radio, you can find a whole list of them on TalkLawRadio.com. And if you want, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search for Talk Law Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. God started with one law, don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Then we had the Ten Commandments. Now we have city, state, and federal lawmakers that won't stop making new laws. I'm here to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. And in our third segment, we always talk about the saints and sinners. So So what gave me the idea to talk about saints and sinners was a theologian named Martin Luther, who back in year 1570 nailed his 95 thesis to the church door, and he said we're all saints and sinners at the same time. And so this week, um, there's somebody in the news that some people will think is a saint and some people who will think he's a sinner. Uh, I read in the Texan that Army Sergeant Daniel Perry shot and killed protester Garrett Foster in downtown Austin in July 2020. Perry asserts he acted in self-defense. So one of the primary issues in this case is whether the other guy, Foster, pointed his AK-47 at Perry before the gunfire started. Perry shot Foster with a three fifty seven Magnum revolver. So Garrett Foster had the AK-47, Daniel Perry had the three fifty seven Magnum, and in Texas, there's a strong self-defense law. It doesn't require either party to retreat before resorting to deadly force if if the person reasonably believes it's necessary to defend himself against such threat. So that's uh, another standard that's going to be decided in the trial is whether it was a reasonable belief. So some people, like I said, will say that uh, Daniel Perry was a saint. Some people will say he's a sinner. I'll leave that up to Ladies and gentlemen out there listening to the show. Another saint that I read about was uh, Eddie Shannon, who turned 101 years old today, or not today, probably sometime this month. And his greatest legacy, according to one of his uh, players, he was a coach, said that The number of years that he has lived, every time you met him, he had an inspirational statement for you. He said, this is the gospel truth. I've never in my life, and he's 101 years old, heard Coach Shannon say anything critical about anybody. So that's a good thing to learn um, from Eddie Shannon, Mm -hmm. is to be encouraging of people instead of critical. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about the banks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and and how it got in trouble. And uh, now I wanted to talk about what are people saying about this? What are their concerns? 
And um, one of the concerns, I think, is, is money safe at the bank? Yeah, that's a good question. And yeah. and my response is, well, where where else would you put it? <laughs> yeah, put it under. The, I know, um, you know, my my uh, one of my grandmothers used to put money under the mattress and hide it in the house and things like that. And um, it actually brought up an interesting estate planning issue because when she passed away, the money disappeared. So mm-hmm. cared, somebody took it. I don't know who took yeah. it. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't probably wasn't her wish. And then you also have inflation too, which eats into that money if you just put it under the mattress. Right. If prices are going up and your money is not earning interest, then you're losing purchasing power. Mm -hmm. But something I have had clients do, not with all their money, so I'm not saying to just completely skip banks, but treasury bills right now are paying between 4 to 5%, very short-term, backed by the government, and they mature in 4 weeks, 8 weeks, and 13 weeks. Oh, really? So I've been having clients create ladders with that for a portion of their money. Okay. 4%, 4 4.5% is not bad for something that matures in eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because CDs at banks, they are typically the six months or 12 months or, or even longer. I would say it's equivalent to maybe like an 18-month CD at a bank. Okay. But that might be another risk for banks too, though, if you think about it, because mm-hmm. it's something that's competing with the interest. Right. Yeah. Something else um, people are talking about is um, – Money outside of banks, like in uh, investments or treasury bills, mm-hmm. um, is is it safe there? It's safer. So banks, you know, we're talking about the fractional reserve system. So legally, we'll, we'll yeah. describe that in more detail. Fractional reserve. Yeah, I'll use an example of somebody going to the bank and making a ten thousand dollar deposit. If they do that, it's not like they're putting that money in a safe deposit box and waiting for you to come back and withdraw it. What they're doing with that $10,000 is they're taking a portion of it, investing it in long-term investments that are safe. I, I shouldn't say like – some of them are safe, <laughs> but that are perceived to be safe because nothing is 100% in our world, right? Right. Um, and they're also making loans with it, you know, doing truck loans, auto loans, mortgages, things like that. So that's how the banking system works. They need a portion of that money to be able to make loans or else and, they're just – And we learned money. that by watching A Wonderful Life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, that, what was the guy's name? That's what he said. Uh, Love that movie. <laughs> it's not like we have your money back in the safe. Um, we used it to loan Joe the money to buy his house. Yeah. It's like it, it makes the economy go. So there needs to be some level of it, but it needs to be, they need to have cash on hand as well for, you know, if people do want their deposits back. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of that balance. Okay, so you were you were going somewhere with that the the fractional reserve, mm-hmm. and and how maybe other financial institutions that aren't necessarily banks are able to keep money safe. They can't do that. So legally, they're not allowed to go take your money and make other investments with it. So if I have my money at Fidelity, or you know Charles Schwab, to give an example of some big companies, mm-hmm. sometimes Charles Schwab and companies like that will hold more than the SIPC insurance. So it has a similar insurance, which is 250000 of protection for cash, money market, and 500000 for securities in the case of fraud. But they're actually required to hold that in a separate account in custody for you. So it is more like a safe deposit box. Where okay. They're taking it out. They're committing fraud and could be going to jail and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's an, another article that I read about um, how to – check to see if your bank account is at a bank that's insured by FDIC. So you can go to the FDIC government website and just search find my bank and and they'll tell you whether it's insured. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the $250,000 limit of in, of insured accounts and you can use this tool um to check and see if if you can have more coverage for yeah. Other types of accounts. Yeah. And there's ways. If, you're, if you have a lot of money in cash and say you're married. I recently got married um, last year. November oh, congratulations. Last year. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, shout out to uh, Alyssa Warren uh, at Holden Roofing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when, when you, know, you get married, you form a joint account. That joint account is a different owner. 
So my personal account now would have $500,000 of coverage. 250 for the joint, which is a different owner because it's me and her. Mm-hmm. And then 250 for this. Okay. So there are some ways you can get more insurance by having different ownership status on different Yeah, accounts. but I think in the case of Silicon Valley, um, the, the depositors there, they had millions and millions, and, and that was just way above the limit. Yep. And in that case, you want to have multiple banks and make sure it's insured. I would say don't count on that to happen over and over again <laughs> where they're billing out all depositors. Yeah, because it's an unknown. It's uncertain. Uh, there was nothing in the law that would require the FDIC to insure deposits above the the $250,000 mark. Yeah. And so it's a risk that you would take thinking that, well, the government's always going to bail out the banks. Yeah. yeah. So if you have more than 250 in an ownership at a bank, I would say spread it out for sure. There were some uh, San Antonio businesses that had money in the Silicon Valley Bank. Hmm. Uh, there's uh, one business called Plus One Robotics. They were reported in the in uh, by KSAT 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, they interviewed the, the CEO there, and uh, there was a little bit of a scare, but they're okay now. Okay. <laughs> Another concern that that was brought up to me is um, with with the uncertainty of banks and money. Is this going to encourage the government to create a central bank digital currency? And so where we don't use paper money at all, but we just have electronic access to it. Yeah. Have you heard people talking about that? Yeah. Um, A lot of people in the crypto space hate that because it goes against all the ethos and everything they believe in in the crypto space. But yeah, it would be a government dollar where be very easy to track where it's going. Mm-hmm. Probably would be more convenient. I'm thinking that's how they would market it. Can't speak on conspiracy theories, but I remember there was a law they were saying where if you pass more than $600 on Square, they're going to tax it, and then they push that down the road a little bit. It would be a way to tax, like, you know, hey, give me $20 for that mill and things like that. So yeah. you got to think about the taxation, I would say, on that. Right, because yeah. if the government can track it, they can tax it. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to take another break. Uh, stay tuned. When we come back, we'll be talking about legacy. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Also on podcasts everywhere, Facebook and YouTube. You can also search for previous episodes on www.talklawradio.com. And if you have questions but didn't want to call in, you can always email me at host at TalkLawRadio.com. That's H-O-S as in Sam, T as in Timothy, at TalkLawRadio.com. Here with Joseph Warren, who works for uh, Financial... Financial Planning HQ. I don't know why I can't remember that. Financial (laughs) Planning HQ. And he does financial planning for people. Um, But in our fourth segment, we're going to talk about legacy and now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. So this morning I was watching YouTube, and I was uh, watching uh, just a clip about God is for you, who can be against you? And uh, they quoted Second Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 12. And it it sort of captured the mood of the community. 
there were words like afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and uh, but in that in those same verses, it reminded me that even though we're afflicted, perplexed, and persecuted, we won't be crushed, we won't be driven to despair, we won't be forsaken, uh, we won't be destroyed. Uh, my mom would always say not to worry. She was always encouraging us not to worry. And uh, so I'd like for those in my life to remember that I would say, the Lord will provide. You know, even in those times when I didn't know where my groceries were going to come from, I would tell my wife, the Lord will provide. And 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 he always did. We always had groceries. Yeah. <laughs> so t- tell me, uh, what are your thoughts on legacy? On legacy. I think... My main thoughts right now, don't have any kids yet, just recently got married, but it's such an important thing to think about while you can with a sound mind. That's the way I like to think about it. And for me personally, I think it's good to give people money, inheritance, things like that. But I think the main thing, the main legacy is how you impacted them. So I always tell people like, your kids may not listen to what you say, but they're watching what you're doing. And the way you live your life, you know, if you live a life of integrity, you know, if you're living for to uh, glorify God with everything you do, they're going to take some aspect of that when they're your age or when, when they're raising their kids. And I think that's like the ultimate legacy is the inspiration or the impact that you have on those you love and those around you. Yeah, that's awesome. So besides your gr- grandmother that used to hide things, <laughs> anybody else in your family that impacted you? Mm. the way that you hope to impact others? Yeah. Um, I had another grandmother on my, my father's side, and she just taught me kindness, I think. Just like she was always so sweet, always so kind. And I know mm-hmm. you're always like that with your grandkids. Yeah. Right? But just such a level of patience with me, even when I you know, didn't deserve it, even when I was being, um, I guess, you know, kind of being a like, teenager, like, I remember once I kicked a soccer ball and I accidentally hit her in the face and I could tell she was mad and I felt so bad, but she calmed herself down and was like, just go inside. <laughs> and I was like, there is that level of um, patience and kindness that I think is something that sticks with me when I feel like I'm being tested or, mm-hmm. you know, I might want to get angry and things like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Gra- grandmothers are the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, that's our legacy segment. Let's go back to um, what are some takeaways from learning about money and banks and, and the FDIC today. Um, before you answer that question, I wanted to say the Banking Act of 1933 created the FDIC. And so that the Banking Act of 1933 was signed by President Franklin Roosevelt. So that's how far back the FDIC goes, and it was created to uh, give the the people, U.S. citizens, um, more comfort about the banking system. Yeah. Because in '29, that's when the Great Depression started. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how far back everything is connected, right? Because mm-hmm. right then you had the Great Depression, banks were failing like crazy back then, like hundreds of banks were failing. So they're like, okay, well, let's do the FDIC. And bank failures still happen. I mean, they're, they're a thing that happened. Even during good economies, banks are making bad decisions and failing. Mm-hmm. So it does uh, add a layer of protection. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's there. It's less of a Wild West with the FDIC insurance and, and yeah. CUA for credit unions. Yeah, yeah but some people would say if, if it's a bad bank, let them fail. Yeah. And then let the market correct itself. I'm, personally, so I'm not saying speaking for my company or anything, I believe that's what is necessary so that they can learn lessons. Because you kind of teach the wrong lessons when you're like, you can make all these bad investments and we're going to help you to save face and everyone's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, or you, even you can put over 250000 Like that type of thing should be something everybody knows. And they should, in my opinion, you know, learn from that and never do it again. Never put more than 250000 per an owner, per a bank. That would be right. the main takeaway. Yeah. yeah, well, something I learned from you today is that... Uh, other financial services companies, investment companies, brokerage companies have different rules that that might be 
better suited for banks. <laughs> yeah, they have to hold it separately. Um, I think that would that would be interesting. And there's actually some good money market funds like SPAXX is one. I think it's a fidelity fund, and it's paying 4.25% over the past seven days. It's cash. So what are some other lessons just generally that uh, people can take away from from this whole situation? I think the main thing would be understanding the writing on the wall of where we are economically with rising interest rates. So banks can do that and change their investments, but we can also do that and see like, hey, there's opportunities out there to get safe yield on my cash, my money. And just looking at your cash portion of your finances as just like not not an investment, but something that you want to protect and be a good steward of and earn interest on it if you can. And kind of, you know, have it logically set up. So I have my emergency fund in a safe bank that I trust under the limits, right? Mm -hmm. I have some T-bills and things like that, some ladders for money I know I'm not going to touch that are making me good interest. You know, even in my investment accounts, I have some cash that I know is making me some good interest. So I would say just being a good steward of your money, staying under those limits, being careful where you bank and how your money is allocated. So you're not exposing yourself to risk where you might be at the whim of the government or politics or the economy like I was talking about. If you make those good decisions, you set yourself up for success down the road. Yeah. Well, m- my father-in-law was telling me that, um, you know, the, the Bible says uh, not to worry. Mm-hmm. says the, the, the Lord even takes care of the birds, yeah. and so he'll take care of you. But then he also said, don't put your head in the sand. <laughs> Do some things to make your situation better. Uh, he says if if the economy gets worse, those who are not in debt will probably fare better than those who are. And he said that, uh, yeah, so it would be better not to be in debt. Than, mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm thinking about those treasury bills. Well, 4.5% is, is high compared to zero, but if you compare it to the inflation rate, if it's mm-hmm. still 7 or 8%, you're still not keeping up with inflation. Yep. So if you have time, it, it probably makes sense to, to be invested in, in something that has the potential for getting more. Yep. Even that's good stewardship is how do I allocate my money? How risky is it going to be? And am I investing in companies and investments that I believe in for the long term? I like the Warren Buffett approach, like 120 years from now. Will my grandkids be able to enjoy this investment? That's, yeah. a, that's the kind of thinking I like to think when it comes to investments. Companies that are stable and provide something that everybody's always going to need. Yep. When, um, I don't know, a few years ago, I, I thought it would be fun to teach my kids about investing. Yes. So I opened up uh, an online account just so that I could control things. And I, I let each member of the family... Um, pick something mm-hmm. that they wanted to invest in. And my daughter, she said, <clears throat> my teacher at school says that um, babies will always be born and people will always die. And so we we looked for companies that, that fit that bill. And uh, uh, Procter & Gamble makes diapers. Yeah. <laughs> so we figured that would be good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, my sons uh, were a little more daring. Um, one chose Dropbox um, because he heard about something in the news, and and the other one picked um, some unknown company, a smaller company yeah. that uh, was in uh, pharmaceuticals and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, and it it went up for a little, and then you can just see the graph. Straight down. <laughs> Those are crazy. They are real fast. Yeah, and and so when when there was a, a meeting for shareholders, mm-hmm. he, always, he was reading their news mm-hmm. and trying to trying to figure out, you know, what are they doing over there that's causing their stock to crash? <laughs> and uh, I said, "Welcome to the world of investments." <laughs> yeah, those are those are good lessons to have so early. Yeah, yeah. But that also killed the uh, the mood. Like, I don't want to put money into these companies if they're just going to lose value. Yep. I think that's part of it is like that feedback too, like learning from your mistakes. 
So you you come back better the next time mm-hmm. with any investment because I think yeah. anyone who's in the arena making investments and stuff like that you're going to make mistakes sometimes. But, so yeah. will you talk again about your unique approach to helping people with their finances? Yeah, um, comprehensive financial planning. I like to say that's the only thing we're selling. So you're paying for objective advice, accountability throughout the year to get your to achieve your goals, to achieve what you said you wanted to achieve. And just oversight and attention to make sure that happens. And we coordinate, you know, taxes, legal. So we work with experts like you. Same with taxes. We'll work with CPAs to make sure we're doing everything we can to create a strategy to minimize taxes, especially for business owners. Uh, Goal planning to make sure you're on track for your goals. Uh, Insurance planning, working with experts like Larissa, who's here. Um, Shout out to her, Larissa Flores at New York Life. And to make sure that everything's protected. And I always forget one, but there's um, investments as well. So making sure your investments are set up exactly as they should be for the times that we're in, but also for your personal economy, your risk, and so that you know, it's being, you're being a good steward of your money and you know it's going to grow, beat inflation, and help you achieve your goals. Yeah, that, that's all the science behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you haven't talked about how you people realize their vision. That is an interesting question. It's, we don't call it that, but it's actually a values conversation that we start okay. with. What's important to you? And we just dig deeper and we'll find things like, you know, I want to leave the world a better place. I want to be a steward of the money that God left me. Many, many high-level things. Um, I want to inspire my grandkids, leave the next generation better than me. But we ask people those questions at the beginning. And often they're surprised because it's not a question that very frequently asked in the financial world. Yeah. yeah. So you're helping people discover their legacy it's that motivation like this is the reason why three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 